0: Join Aaron now as he reveals the reality foreshadowed and the new life we can now experience because of what the Lord Jesus accomplished for us.
1: In the previous broadcast, I was speaking about Hebrews chapter 4 and the importance of understanding that the Lord our God has done all the works that can possibly be done in order to bring us to Him that he has accomplished all things in order to reconcile us to himself and in order to resolve the sin issue to the extent where he can save us, to the extent where he can restore to us the Holy Spirit that had been lost in Adam and there is now no sin left unforgiven that can cause the Spirit to depart from within us. And so by definition, the life that we now have is an eternal life or an everlasting life. And that this is because of what he has done, not because of what we have done, and certainly not because of what we may do or not do in the future, but that this is an accomplished fact on the basis of what he has done and given to us. That's a very important thing to understand about the gospel, the good news that has been given to us of Christ Jesus, our Messiah, that the question of salvation or the issue of salvation has been completely resolved. And because of what he has done for us, he has now given to us all things that we need for life and godliness. And if we do not believe that the sin issue is over, then we will continue to live our lives as though it is not over, which means that we will have to continually live our lives trying to get the sin out of our life trying to be as perfect as we can possibly be, trying to be right with our God, trying to be pleasing to our God, trying to obtain blessings from our God, trying to avoid the discipline of our God. And I, of course, have done many radio programs on all of these subjects. But for right now, what I'm trying to communicate to you is that we will be condemned to live a life trying to obtain what He has already given believing that it could never be obtained. That is definitely a life of unbelief, and by definition, according to Hebrews chapter 3, verse 19, that is a life of disobedience to God, not believing in what He has done and not believing in what He has given. The Sabbath law was given by our God in order to speak to us about another rest that He would eventually provide according to the New Covenant. And I of course have done a series of programs on the subject of the Sabbath law, which I would like to refer you to. And I did spend a couple of radio programs talking about Hebrews chapter 3 and Hebrews chapter 4 in the context of the Sabbath law. But in this broadcast, I would just like to focus on the general perspective of Hebrews chapter 4, that we have been called to enter into a certain rest, a rest that has to do with living our lives, being thankful for what Christ Jesus has done for us, instead of trying to live a life of doing things for God with hope that maybe one day he will be thankful or he will be pleased with us, or perhaps he may bless us more than he already has. Things like that are all expressions and exercises of unbelief. The importance of this was clearly explained in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 11, where the Lord said, therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. This is a very important conclusion to the verses between chapter 4, verse 1 and verse 10. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse 10, he said, for the one who has entered his rest, that is God's rest, has himself also rested from his works as God did from his, or in a similar way, To how God rested from His works. God's works of creation included the work of making the provision for salvation when mankind would eventually fall. That was part of the works that He was involved in. And He rested from His works on the seventh day to say that everything that He was going to accomplish was effectively accomplished, and there was nothing more to do except allow things to unfold and play out as he anticipated that they would. And, of course, he would intervene, and he would be involved throughout that course of time up until the point of salvation, and then he would be involved in our lives, of course, in a very different way, according to the New Covenant. But if we will believe and trust that he has done it all for us, if we will respond to that truth and live as though that is true. And what I mean by that is that if we live as though it is not true, well, that's easy to spot, that's easy to identify. If you live in a way that reflects your unbelief concerning this, then you will live as though your works are valuable to God, as though your repentance and obedience does mean something. Anything that you may do in order to obtain his approval or his pleasure or or obtain his blessings or anything like that is a way of saying that you do not believe in what he has already done for you. And if that's the case, then you have not entered in to the rest that he has called you to. And if that's the case, then you will fall according to the same example of disobedience that was given to us through the children of Israel. And so this is a very serious issue. This is something that I really believe all believers should continually evaluate themselves on the basis of. The reason why I say this is because without understanding this, you will not begin to walk in the life that your God has called you to. And when it comes to these kinds of issues, there's no way to hide from the Lord concerning these. You may be able to convince me that you don't live your life trying to work for God, or trying to be repentant and obedient before God in order to sustain your right standing with Him. You may be able to convince me of this issue, but you will never be able to hide from the Lord concerning this, because He will be able to evaluate you on the basis of the true condition of your heart. And so there's no need for us to argue these kinds of points argue these matters concerning your motive or the lack thereof or anything like that, because the Lord is going to figure these things out on his own. He's going to determine these things himself, and he will relate to you on the basis of what is true. And so you don't need to worry about convincing me or anybody else, and don't even bother trying to convince God. You need to ask him to reveal to you the truth of this matter, because he is the one who can divide between the soul and the spirit. He is the one who can divide between all of these issues and make a clear distinction between you working in your flesh or you resting in all aspects of your life on the basis of what he has done. He is the one who can determine if you are working on the basis of what you are doing or if you are trusting in what he has already accomplished. He is the one who can do that. Now, the word of God, the word of God that has been revealed, not just in the Old Testament, but also in the New, can be utilized by His Spirit, who will testify within your spirit, within the spirit of all His people. The Holy Spirit will testify concerning these issues in the very core of our being, and He can use the scriptures in order to accomplish this. In verse 12, that is Hebrews chapter 4, verse 12, it says, For the word of God is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword and piercing as far as the division of soul and spirit of both joints and marrow, and able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And there is no creature hidden from his sight, but all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. And so this is not really an issue for us to argue between each other. This is an issue for you to personally deal with between you and the Lord. I can tell you what is written here. I can tell you what I believe the Lord intended to say through what has been given to us in the book of Hebrews. However, when it comes to the real issues of life, you are going to have to speak to the Lord your God yourself and you are going to have to ask him to show you clearly how this division is made. I have done this and I do have great confidence that the Lord has revealed to me what I need to know in order to experience peace and rest in him. But everyone, all of his children, must do that personally and individually with their God, if they are going to experience the reality of what he has called us to. We can certainly use the word of God in order to divide many things, and we can use the word of God in order to pass judgment concerning the thoughts and the intentions of the hearts of people. But while we may do that with each other, the real issue will always remain between us and our God personally and individually. We can certainly gain insights and understanding and have some measure of wisdom ourselves through the use of the word of God that has been given to us. But it is nothing in comparison with the testimony that our God shares with us individually as he speaks to us, in the very core of our heart, in the very core of our being. And when that happens, you can certainly appreciate what he says in verse 13 here, that no creature is hidden from his sight, but that all things are open and laid bare to the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So it is he who you will be accountable to concerning these issues. It is not me, it is him. So your argument remains with him as to whether or not you are living a life of obedience. Obedience to the truth of what he has accomplished, not obedience in your flesh in what you think you may find a way to accomplish. Those are two completely different things. Do not mistake one for the other, and do not believe that your life in Christ Jesus has something to do with the other, that is, trying to live a life of repentance and obedience. We have been called to something entirely different an entirely different experience with our god in hebrews chapter 4 verse 14 it is written therefore since we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens jesus the son of god let us hold fast our confession for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses but one who has been tempted in all things as we are yet without sin therefore let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Now, when it comes to verse 15, where it says that he sympathizes with our weaknesses and he is one who was tempted in similar ways that we are tempted, I spoke about this in a set of programs that I did titled Jesus, Our High Priest. And so I would like to defer you to those programs concerning this particular verse and this idea of him being a high priest or a priest in our lives and what that really means in the context of him being able to relate to us because of the life that he lived here on earth and how that really establishes him as a greater priest than any other priest who has lived or will live. I would like to refer you to those programs, but in this program, I would like to just focus on verse 16 that has to do with drawing near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need? What most people think of when they read this is that they think of their own sins. People generally refer to this verse by saying that you have sin in your life, which means what you need is you need forgiveness for your sins. I do not believe that that is what the writer is referring to. And the reason why I do not believe that is because he has already forgiven us of our sins. I don't believe that that was really his intent. Now, I think that we can use this truth and rest in that truth. I just don't think that the writer was intending to say that in this verse. Now, assuming that he was, it's very simple. And that is that if you at any time feel that your sin is a barrier between you and God, you should have confidence to turn to him and go to him, draw near to him, knowing that he will give you mercy for the sins that you have committed and that your time of need is actually a time when you need forgiveness because you have sin in your life. But again, I don't believe that that is what he was intending to say because if that was true, then when are you not going to have sin in your life? When are you not going to be struggling with sin? If that was the case, and you would have to consistently and constantly draw near to him in order to obtain forgiveness... And so when would you ever experience a moment of peace and rest, trusting and believing that you have forgiveness? You will only be able to experience that for a short time. And I don't believe that's what he has called us to. I believe that he has already forgiven us of all of our sins so that we can consistently live on a daily basis, moment by moment, with the peace of knowing that we already have mercy for our sins and that this sin issue between us and our God is not an issue. And so because of that, I don't think that's what he was intending to say. I believe that he was intending to say that because the sins have already been forgiven, we can draw near to him with confidence in order to receive something that he has for us that will meet our needs. Understand that I do not believe that we need forgiveness because I think we already have forgiveness. I believe that we need something else that we have other needs that need to be addressed. For example, we need to be loved, and I do understand that an aspect of the love of God is his forgiveness, but I think that there are different needs, that there are different issues that the writer is intending to address here. That these needs have to do with the deepest needs of our heart, the need for acceptance and the need for purpose and understanding in our lives, the need for safety and security, the need for a relationship with our God, that these are the needs that I think he is referring to, the very needs that often drive us to commit sins. So I believe that he is in our lives to meet the needs of our heart. And if we will receive what he is giving to us, then these needs will be met and we will not be tempted by the world to engage in sin. Let me say this in a different way. The reason why we generally pursue sin, the reason why we fall to the temptations of life, the temptations are tempting us in the deepest part of our being, suggesting that the needs that we have can be met through commission of sin. For example, we have a need to be wanted. We have a need for others to actually want us, to like us. That is a need that we all have. And there are many sins that we can be tempted to commit, but the temptation is not the indulgence of the flesh, per se. The temptation is that if you will engage in this particular sin, then you will feel wanted by this other individual or this other circumstance. You will feel fulfilled. You will feel needed you will feel as though you have purpose in your life. Now, once again, that is the real temptation. The sin is not the real temptation. The temptation is that your needs will be met through the commission of the sin. You do not need to commit sin. You need the love of God. That's what you really need. So if we're going to draw near to him in order to have these needs met, The sin issue between us and God needs to be resolved well in advance. It needs to be completely dealt with already. Because if it isn't, then you will never be truly loved by your God. He will never truly meet the needs that you have, because you will never get enough sin out of your life to the extent where you will trust that He will love you and want you and accept you as you truly need. So this is the pivotal moment in your life, and that is, if you do not believe that the sin issue is over, then he will not meet the needs that you have, and you will live a life being continually tempted by sin. But if you will believe that the sin issue is completely over, then you can rest in the mercy that he has already given, and you can enjoy the abundance of what he gives you after that. And when you enjoy what he has given to you because of the forgiveness that you have, then you will be set free from the temptations of life. That is what drawing near to God is about. It is not drawing near to him on the basis of trying to obtain forgiveness. It is drawing near to him because you have forgiveness. And that's a completely different way of life in comparison with what most of people are struggling with in Christianity today is that most people are trying to draw near to God to obtain forgiveness, to receive mercy, not recognizing that they already have mercy so that they can now receive his grace, his graciousness, that which he is giving, his gratuity and the concept of the abundance of what he is giving to us that meets the true needs that we have so that we can say no to the temptations of life, so that we can say no to him. But again, in context of chapter 4, of Hebrews chapter 4, this is only going to be realized when you enter into His rest. This is His rest. It is a rest of living your life out of the abundance of what He gives to you because He doesn't hold your sins against you anymore. And He does not hold your sins against you anymore because He has done all the works necessary in order to deal with the entire sin issue. So if you're going to enter into his rest, you have to enter into the true rest. And the true rest is, of course, again, the fact that he has done all the works that can be done or that should be done on your behalf. He has done all of these works already. And so because of that, you can now draw near to him and you can enjoy the abundant life, a life of living out of the abundance of what he has given. But, you know, there's no way to really draw near to God if you do not believe that this sin issue is over. If you still believe that he holds your sins against you in any way whatsoever, you're never going to draw near to God. And so this conclusion described in verse 16, therefore let us draw near to God with confidence, to the throne of grace, to the throne of all that he's going to give. There are so many people who will never experience that. They will never be able to experience that because they can never truly draw near with confidence, because they do not have confidence that the sin issue came to an end. I did a series on the subject of forgiveness, and that's something that I would like to refer you to, where I did talk about the common beliefs that people have that prevent them from experiencing the forgiveness of God. Things like a misunderstanding of 1 John nine, a misunderstanding of the Lord's Supper, a misunderstanding of the Sermon on the Mount, I have addressed a number of these subjects in a series that I did on forgiveness, and I also did a series on the Lord's Supper and the Sermon on the Mount individually. But I would like to encourage you concerning this, that if you believe that you may be struggling with this subject, if you do not understand truly what I am talking about, and you do believe that the Lord still holds your sins against you in some way, I would like to encourage you to follow up with the series that I did on the subject titled Forgiveness because it's there that I addressed these issues and established a very, very critical foundation concerning the sin issue. First of all, I began with the necessity of understanding that forgiveness was necessary, otherwise you cannot have salvation. But then I followed up by explaining many of the common things that we teach or that we believe that contradicts this very truth that we have been completely forgiven. You know, it's not unusual for me to ask people, do you believe that the Lord Jesus died for all of your sins, past, present, and future? And people will say, oh yes, absolutely. And they would certainly be crucified or burned alive before they would deny that. That's not the problem. The problem is everything else that people believe in addition to that. It's all the other things that we believe that contradicts that fundamental truth. And these things sound so attractive, they sound so holy, they sound so righteous, they sound so sacrificial, they sound as though a person would have to be totally sincere to believe these things, which you do, that a person would have to be totally committed to trying to be a holy and righteous person, to try to change their lives to be conformed to the image of Christ, to believe these kinds of things. They they do sound very sincere. But unfortunately, they contradict the truth that has been revealed by our God in accordance with the new covenant. And because of that, there are people who will never experience what Hebrews chapter 4 speaks of. And these people are generally quite easy to spot because you can tell that they are restless, that they have a restlessness in the deep part of their being, that there is still a sense of uncertainty within them, that they know that they have been called to draw near to God, but they just haven't quite gotten there yet. They're very close, and they are. They're very close, but not quite there. And so there is no rest in their heart. There is no rest in their being. You know people like that. I'm sure you do. If you spend hardly any time at all with people who are seriously engaged with Christian things and churches and in the Christian world, you know some people who are like that, that are almost there, they know they're almost there, but have not quite entered into that rest. And on occasion, you run into others who are at absolute peace with God. And I don't mean that they are in absolute peace with God because they deny reality, because they deny that the sin issue is important, because they don't really believe it's that important. Not those kinds of people. I mean people who are sober-minded, who truly recognize that the sin issue between them and God is so serious, it is so critical that it did require the death of God in order to provide for propitiation for all of those sins. These kinds of people who recognize sin for what it is and acknowledge that the Lord Jesus has dealt with it all, not to set them free to go out and indulge their flesh, but to set them free so that they can draw near to God, and they have They have drawn near to God to the extent where he does meet the deepest needs of their hearts. And so they do not struggle with temptations like they once did or like you do. They don't deal with those kinds of issues anymore, but they are at peace. And I myself, I have a number of friends who do struggle with these issues and I annoy them. I do. I irritate them. I can tell because I can see it in their eyes and I can hear it in the words that they speak, that there is just this sense of irritation that I am at rest, but they are not. And it bothers them because I don't try to live like they try to live. And I am not so determined or committed as they think I should be. And yet I am at peace and I am walking in my life in a relationship with Christ Jesus where I have this sense of rest about me, where I am not so consumed as they are. And yet I hear from the Lord, and sometimes when they do not, and that there are issues that they are struggling with which I don't struggle with anymore because I am living a life of peace and rest in what Christ Jesus has truly done. And it annoys them because they know that that is something that they should be experiencing, but they don't. And they don't know how to get there. And unfortunately, they may never get there because of the things that they believe that prevent them from ever getting there. And I do pray that one day, the people who I know, who I know personally, will be set free from that. And if you are struggling with that, I pray you also will be set free from those things. Listen to the programs that I described earlier. And also, consider listening to the series I did on spiritual warfare, which actually talks about the differences between law and grace in a very profound way. And through that, I believe you will begin to understand more of what I'm talking about when it comes to the rest that he has called us to.
0: You have been listening to the broadcast outreach of Living God Ministries. You can hear all of our programs for free through our radio archive at livinggodministries.net. That is livinggodministries.net.